हेलो एंड वेलकम टू द गिफ्टेड पॉडकास्ट आई एम योर होस्ट नीरज मुलानी एंड इन द गिफ्टेड पॉडकास्ट आई स्पीक विद इलीट एथलीट्स एज वी ट्राई टू चैलेंज द मिसकंसेप्शन दैट एथलीट्स आर जस्ट सम पीपल हु आर टैलेंटेड और गिफ्टेड विद स्पेशल एबिलिटीज एट बर्थ एवरी वीक आई एम जॉइंड बाय एन इलीट एथलीट as we try to break down what it truly takes and means to be an athlete if you are an aspiring athlete or just a casual sports fan you will definitely enjoy this podcast as i get candid with athletes about their journey their achievements moments of heartbreak and most importantly moments of hard work and perseverance for the first time on this podcast we have an international ice hockey player Doug Lynch Doug started playing ice hockey at the age of 3 and won his first junior league at the age of 18 which is when he also got drafted into the NHL after fulfilling his dream of playing in the NHL albeit a very short stint Doug moved base to Austria where he played for EC Red Bull Salzburg where he won 3 championships in 6 years we also discussed his latest venture Zenkai Sports who is also our sponsor for this podcast and they have some incredible offer for our listeners so stick around till the end to find out more Welcome Doug to the Gifted Podcast. We're really excited to have you today. You're the first ice hockey uh, player that is joining the podcast. We're really excited to have you today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here as well. There are a lot of questions that I have about you and about your sport as well. Let's start right at the beginning and I wanted to understand how did you get into the sport of ice hockey as such considering your father was a very internationally successful and accomplished lacrosse player i think that's a byproduct of being canadian that's the big joke for everybody across the world is we're kind of born with hockey skates on so i grew up in vancouver british columbia and uh, yeah fell in with hockey very very early on and what's kind of cool if people don't don't know is that hockey and lacrosse seasons actually match up perfectly so through the winter most canadian kids play ice hockey and in the summer of course football's massive now but growing up it was hockey in the winter and then lacrosse all summer so it was fun because you get to play a different sport but also work on the same kind of dexterity and the motions that can help any athlete right and were you ever asked to join lacrosse or was it something that you were playing both but then started to lean towards ice hockey That's exactly what happened. So <clears throat> growing up my parents were incredible and they really exposed us to pretty much every single sport we wanted to play and and I have three younger brothers and the four of us we played everything. So I played t-ball and then baseball, you know, soccer, lacrosse, hockey, we had tennis, we played golf. And as you kind of improve or find a niche in one sport, eventually you have to choose. So for for us or for myself personally around 14 or 15 I definitely was very good at a few different sports cuz I'm just an athletic person but ice hockey was definitely my passion my focus and I remember the story my dad always tells is we had a place up in Whistler where we go skiing on the weekends uh, or when it when it was winter time and rent out a house and I remember I was about 8 or 9 and I said well my little brain's trying to comprehend but if I'm up in Whistler how do I play hockey in Vancouver on the weekend and my dad and mom would have to explain to me like no you you have to choose i'm like i ha- well, i have to play hockey so my dad would actually wake up at 3:34 a.m. on our ski you know trip with the rest of the family and he'd have to drive me back 2 hours to vancouver and that's before the olympics happened where we had a nice two lane highway this was like a really 
crappy rundown, uh, dangerous road from Vancouver to Whistler. And he'd drive back and we'd listen to Beatles music and the Rolling Stones. And I actually love those car rides. He'd, he'd drive me back two hours, I'd play a game and he'd drive back to meet the rest of the family. So after about a couple of years of doing that, he just said, this is ridiculous. You're just going to stay back with a friend or we're going to stay back with one of us. You can play hockey. So that's how much I liked it, you know, pretty early on. Right. And what sort of influence does it have on the child growing up when one or both of their parents have been elite athletes themselves? That's a great question, a great point. And I was fortunate to grow up in a household where my dad was, is an ex-professional lacrosse player. He's in the Hall of Fame for lacrosse. My mother was an excellent athlete growing up, never played professionally, but a very athletic person. And what's really nice is I think they give good perspective. They know, or especially my dad in this instance, he played at the highest level in the world for his sport. He knows how hard it is. He knows how dedicated you have to be. And there has to be some sort of a tangible thing along the way that allows it to work out for the individual. So for growing up with the parents that could speak to me to that, they're like, Doug, do this because you love it. The chances of you making it this are small. Dream it, dream big. Of course, try to put your focus and determination into it, but let's have perspective. And I remember when I was about 13 or 14, you know, I was, I was pretty good. And lots of you know, parents that are listening to this now your son or daughter might be the best eight or nine-year-old, but then two years go by and 11, they're not the best anymore. And they, whether they haven't grown fast enough or matured emotionally or mentally, it, you know, it, during those young formative years, it's very, very difficult to predict an eight or nine-year-old what they're going to be like when they're 17 or 18. And I, you know, I play with tons of hockey players that were way better than I ever was, way more talented, but then they wanted to start doing other things. They wanted to play guitar on the weekends. They wanted to start doing other things outside of, of school or whatever that might, that might be. And I just kind of stuck with it because I had the love and passion for it. So I think the biggest thing, Niraj, is that when you have a parent, whether it's a grandparent or an uncle or aunt or some sort of family member that can bring perspective to that young child's life, that's the biggest key. And my story with that is a member I was you know, 10, 11, 12. And I was like the best player on my team. And I was like, the best player at every tournament I went to. And my dad would keep saying to me, Doug, it's a big world out there. Like you might be good in Vancouver or even the province of British Columbia, but guess what? Ontario and Saskatchewan and Manitoba, those kids all play hockey there too. By the way, Russia, Finland, there's some incredible athletes across the world playing this sport. So then what happened for me was that 13, 14 came and now you're starting to play more like international tournaments, you're trying to travel. And I was still the best player at every single one. And I remember talking like that. I'm like, I'm still like pretty good at this. And he's like, now at 14 or 15, he's like, okay, we, we need to make some decisions here because playing hockey actually might be a career for you as I kept progressing. So I think having that perspective is the number one thing for any parent that's coaching a, a child that's, that shows aptitude in a certain sport. Right. And I think you're spot on being able to rely on that perspective at the right time. Like you mentioned, there were a lot of others who at your age would also be pretty good, but had other interests that they wanted to pursue and may not have had an athlete in their family to bring that perspective and not just bring the perspective, but bring it at the right time, especially when they they are fe- starting to feel good or starting to take the sport easy because they're just winning week on week. 
Well, and that you're absolutely right. And that comes back to you, you hear all the, all the analogies about it's 90% mental, right? That's the reason why it's 90% mental because the actual physical nature, of course, there's skill that comes involved and some of it's uh, God-given talent. Some of it you have to work extremely hard for. For me, of course, I was born with size, which helped me in ice hockey, but the skills, I spent hundreds of thousands of hours on my skills, but that comes from the mental side is I did it. Like it wasn't work for me. Like I would spend four or five hours as a nine and 10 year old shooting like every day and to the point where, you know, my parents are going like, you have to come in and have dinner. And I'm like, I don't want to eat dinner. I just want to keep playing. I want to keep working because you don't look at that as work. You look at, cause your, your passion is so high. So that's the biggest difference is I think parents have to allow the child to have the passion come through. A lot of parents kind of stifle it because they put too much pressure on the child at a young age and they want to maybe relive some sort of a glory moment that they had in their lives that they missed. So the biggest thing I think is to foster that passion is if a parent can give the son or daughter the tools, it's up to them to be like, I remember with my dad, I'd be like, Hey, can you, can you take me to extra practice on the weekends? Can you drive me to this extra skate where my friends are skating at this rink that's might be an hour away, but I want to get extra ice time this week. Like I was the one dictating that. It was like, I don't think my entire life, my dad ever had to, or my mom dragged me to go to practice. Like I was the one at the front door with my bag pack, with my sticks going, Hey guys, we're going to be late. Can, can we leave now? I want to get there early to like hang with the guys or the girls in the locker room or whoever I'm playing with and be around that experience. So parents can see right away, is there talent? Is there the drive and determination? And then the mental side is, can they sustain that? Right. And it is still early on in your career while you're still progressing in ice hockey and also playing other sports. But I wanted to understand, like you mentioned that you were ready at the front door waiting for parents to you know drop you or take you to the ice rink get you some extra time on the ice what would you say were the values that were instilled in you that really brought this drive in the early childhood or the, in in the early career of ice hockey for Doug i think that first of all i grew up with both brothers so there's my three brothers or so four of us um with a big family, I guess you could call it. So I had my brothers all the time. You learn about give and take, about sharing, about cooperation, about competitiveness. So I think for me, I learned early on how to, how to be a good teammate. And it started with being how to be a good brother. Just like I'm sure lots of your listeners, if they have siblings, like I fought my parents. I don't want to bring my little brother to this event. It's going to embarrass me or I want to look cool for my friends. So of course I had all those normal feelings. But then you, you earn, learn on very early. My parents obviously have a huge, a huge hand in that of like, no, this is your family. You take care of your family, you support them. All of those same characteristics that you treat a teammate, you treat, you know, eventually down the road, you treat a business partner or your colleagues is you're all in this together to go towards a common goal. And I think people forget that. And I think people get too selfish in their thinking uh, one of the stories that really happened to me early on, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that with some of your questions, but I won the Memorial Cup as a 17-year-old, and actually I scored the overtime winning goal, and our team won it in 2001 with the Red Deer Rebels. And we had of that team, I think 13 or 14 players drafted into the NHL or signing some sort of free agent contract. 
13 or 14 out of 20 players. And that was simply because we came together to win and people want to be around people that, that know how to win and know how to come together as a team. So I learned, learned that very early on in my growing up in my family. And I think sports, and if you grew up as an only child, that's why sports, in my opinion, are so valuable for that learning um, for young children, because they're going to learn how to win, how to lose. And all of these aspects, the soft skills are extremely important as an adult. Right. I, I totally agree. I think sport has a way of teaching various life skills. And to juxtapose this to your career where you were the eldest of the four brothers, and I know all three of them also followed your footsteps into ice hockey. What sort of pressure were you putting on yourself to walk the walk and talk the talk at that time? And do you think that also allowed you to build these innate leadership qualities early on in your career that you used to rely on during your entire career? Definitely I did. And I guess the kind of the cool part, in my opinion, is that you're doing it subconsciously. I never woke up every day and said, I'm, I'm going to be a leader today, or I'm going to lead, whether it's my, you know, my brothers or set a good example. I was just myself. And I think that people, the genuineness, you know, some leaders are raw, raw people and they're, they're motivators. Some people are a little bit more the quiet, silent leader. I was probably a little bit more of the raw, raw type. I, I was always a, a big personality. I loved bringing people together and telling stories and things like that. And I was just doing that naturally. And then the biggest thing for me, the leadership is, of course, you lead by example. So if I wanted to go get some extra work in or do some extra push-ups or sit-ups or I was younger and I wasn't lifting weights yet, I just went and did it. I never told people about it. I never promoted it to anybody. And so I think in that innate ability, I think you're kind of, it's in you and then you can either foster it and grow it, or you can kind of decide not to. And for me, it would make a lot of sense to follow my heart, follow my instincts. And that was to just be myself, which happened to be someone that maybe people thought, yeah, what he's doing, I'd like to do that too. Right. And it is at 15 and 16 is when you and your family decided that this is the sport for you and you really want to give this a fair shot. What sort of aspirations were you lining up for yourself at, at this time when you did decide to you know, take the plunge and start working towards this with your whole heart and soul? It was probably, probably a year or two earlier than I was probably 14 where as a hockey player, and I know even like maybe gymnasts, it might even be earlier than that, or dancers, you know, for us playing hockey, especially in Canada, around 14 is when it's like, it could become real. That's when you're playing the international tournaments or starting the scouting rankings and back was called the red line report when I was growing up and now you're rated against everybody across Canada. Now I think it's across the world because of the technology capabilities everyone has now. So usually in my opinion, every kid should be playing multiple sports if they want to be an athlete. There's some sort of a study now that if you're one of the top kids in your team, you should be able to juggle, you know, like your hand-eye coordination, like every good athlete can juggle. Like there's a bunch of reports coming out like that. So I'm a big proponent of kids doing a lot of different sports. It's only going to help in whatever your passion is going to be once you have to dial it in. So about 14, I'm like, okay, now in the summers, it's playing my club team all winter. And now in the summer, it's tournaments, it's all-star camps, it's traveling around. So now I can't play lacrosse. I can't play baseball. I can't play tennis. I've got to choose because that's the level it's at. And then 15, you're drafted. 
into something called the, the Western Hockey League, which for me out West was. So not to get into all of the, the back end of that, but at 15, you're now then drafted. And then now it's like, okay, now agents are calling you and you're like, okay, the dream of playing professional hockey is becoming more and more real. So about that time is when you're like, okay, this could be a, a legitimate career choice. Not just when I was 10 years old and you want to be a fighter pilot. And you're just like, every, you have all those dreams every other kid has. By the time you're 14, 15 for ice hockey, it's like, okay, you're either going to start taking those steps or I'm going to just play hockey for fun. Right. And there is something very interesting that you touched upon is you being an advocate of children playing multiple sports while growing up. And I often wonder and ponder upon this thing. And I also love talking about this with a lot of athletes that I talk to is their thoughts on early specialization of sport versus the children playing multiple sports while growing up. And then only around 17, 18 is when they decide to specialize on a sport. And I know that you played a lot of sports while growing up and you also started playing hockey at the age of three. What sort of inputs do you think you have on, on this idea? Is it something that parents should always try and let the children play multiple sports to, you know, build themselves as a, an overall athlete? Or is it something that, especially in some of the winter sports that I've seen, like some of the athletes that have been on the podcast before, they started skiing at the age of two. And they specialize in the sport, became world beaters. And there are obviously always great examples on both sides of the, uh, the coin. But where do you lie on this? So I'm a thousand percent on playing multiple sports and be exposed to multiple sports early on. I can't really speak to on the Olympic side because I know for some of the Olympics, like I've been around a lot of top class figure skaters, like, man, they're at 10 or 12 years old. They're, that's all they're doing. So obviously if you're that good, that young for a sport, for us playing hockey, you're not playing professionally, you're not going to the Olympics at 14. So we have a little bit more time, fortunately, but as far as like, just speaking to my experiences as in the hockey side, every team I've played on the best player on the team was the best athlete. They could hit a free throw. They could swing a golf club and hit it 300 yards. You go play ping pong. Like for me, I have probably played ping pong for two years and I'm, I could pick it up in two seconds and be right back to where I was when I was playing like full-time in the dressing rooms, waiting for practice to start. So I think when you're a multi-sport athlete, I think it just really lends to all the other sports. I mentioned hand-eye coordination, which is kind of a cool story in hockey is that we grew up in Canada playing, again, like I said, lacrosse and ice hockey and sometimes baseball. So a lot of Canadians have great hand-eye coordination because they're catching lacrosse balls. We didn't really grow up playing soccer. However, all the Europeans they grew up playing soccer. So when I started playing against playing with and against European hockey players, I couldn't believe how good they were with their feet, catching pucks, kicking pucks up, deflecting pucks. Like it was almost like having another stick blade for their skates. And that forced me as a Canadian to be way better at my feet where I didn't grow up playing, playing soccer. So for me, my experiences playing, being a professional athlete and being around of all, some of the best athletes that have ever played ice hockey play multiple sports, you're going to know, the child is going to know at the time when they have to start specializing, but don't put it on them too soon because they're going to get burnt out. And everyone's read the Andre Agassi book. Like, you know, you're going to get burnt out way too young. The pressure is going to build way too young and you're going to lose that love and that passion. Right. And now coming back to your early start in 
ice hockey and this is 2000 2001 which is about 3 years of you playing junior league and you became the western hockey league champion what sort of confidence does that early major career win bring for young athletes and what did it do for you it was tremendous for me in my development and the biggest part is whenever you're younger and you're around a, a championship type team or moment or whatever sport you're in you have to learn how to be a champion and it's like a skill and a trait just like the physical skills in the game it's the mental side the grind to be the best and you know everyone talks with the underdog with underdog is kind of easy it's like you've got nothing to lose you just let the pressure fall aside you go out and play and whatever happens happens but when you are supposed to win and you're the top player you're the the player everyone's coming after or you're the team that everyone's coming after it it's a whole other mindset you have to be in and some players some teams can't handle it they they buckle under the pressure sometimes they have to learn how to win so for me in my career i i lost all the time i came from an association playing young hockey uh, playing youth hockey we weren't very good we never won anything so i learned how to lose for years and years and years and that it sticks with you you fe- get the feeling of it and you're like okay so then when you have a chance to win because as a team sport a- athlete you don't have sometimes you're only as good as the players that are surrounded by the coaching staff it's not an individual sport so it's there's a lot of other people that are factoring in that. So then when you have a chance where like, well wow, we've got a special team, we have a special group. Everyone's gunning for us, we're the top of the league. We have to cement this. We have to find out a way to win. That's a whole other concept that people have to learn and I was very fortunate to learn I was 17 years old when we won uh, the Memorial Cup which is the Canadian Championship and it was super exciting and for me I carried that through my professional career and I could then almost sense it whenever team was on after that okay this group has it now we have to stay injury free and you know there's always external factors like that that come into winning a championship but i've also been on teams where i showed up day one going we don't have it this year just the not the right group of, of people involved too much egos or infighting there's not enough cooperation or collaboration you can start sensing it once you've won before right and that's a terrific point where the individual as well as the team needs to learn how to win and then also continue to win because it's one thing getting the win but then another whole task to continue winning all together and maintain your your position as the top dog yes it's it's a completely different mindset to be in and you know i was fortunate enough to be on both sides of it i played on teams where we weren't supposed to win anything and you show up to the rink and you just give everything you got you know you don't have the talent you don't have the right pieces but you're just giving it everything any every night anyway and then you win and it's it's a late in your relation and you're excited because you weren't expected to and then i've been on teams where we're the best team in canada or best team in the world and every single night you're getting the best effort from the other team because it's going to make their year if they beat you if they beat you that's all they doesn't matter for us it's just a tuesday night in some freezing cold rink in Europe or wherever it's going to be if that other team beats you that's going to make their year so for us you know and for having that mindset it, it's completely different than the other mindset not better worse not harder easier a different mindset and some players in some teams they can't they they, they haven't found that gear and it's a skill and it's tough and 
it is usually led from the individuals as well where they need to get into the right mindset especially for individual sports you'd see individuals having their own rhythm of trying to get into the zone if you could call it that where they rely on internal voices or sometimes some of them would rely on the audience to cheer them up but how difficult is this proposition in a team environment where any single individual also who's not on their game at that day could completely you know mess it up for the entire team and how do you ensure what is your role as a teammate in that kind of a setting oh it's a great question i mean i wouldn't sure the analogy you win as a team and lose as a team and in fact it's completely accurate and this is the best part about team sports i've never played an individual sport at a high level besides just having fun with my friends as a teammate in a in a team sport everyone's going to have a bad day everyone's going to have a bad game and so you're just hoping as a teammate that when i'm the one that's really struggling my confidence is low i can't make the right play on the ice i'm making uh, bad decisions the coach is all over you the fans are booing you like yes it's your team but you're feeling that as an individual and that's where a good strong 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 foundation of a team and of an identity can be able to rally behind a player like that whether it's picking them up in the dressing room or after a game or on the bus or you're going to go grab a beer with them and, and and chat through some of the stuff maybe something's going on at home or some something outside of the arena and then vice versa when you're the one doing really well and everything's going right and the coach is singing your praise and you're the front page of the paper every day and the fans are cheering your name you know, you're you're going to experience that side as well and then then when you're feeling there that's when you grab that teammate that's that's struggling right now with their confidence so in the course of a, of a hockey season there's there's 72 to 82 games playoffs exhibition games it's impossible to be good every single night so that's where the team mentality you rely on your teammates they're like your brothers or sisters and they're picking you up when you're down you're going to pick other people up when they're down of course you're disappointed upset if a teammate makes a mistake and you lose and and the season's over but it easily could have been you in that situation too and that's when the best teammates realize that we're all in this together right and i'm sure there would have been that kind of team dynamic in red deer levels as well when you guys became the western hockey league champion and that is also the same year when you got drafted into the nhl by edmonton oilers what was going through your mind at this time having finally being drafted into nhl that you know supposedly one step closer to achieving your dream in playing in the nhl and also how did you get your news that you were gra- drafted in the nhl and how did the family react those are fun stories and fun memories to recall so during your draft you're playing hockey you know every single night that people are watching you you know back in the d- the day when i played it wasn't the digital it was of course some games were on tv but it was people in the stands now lots done remotely for the scouting networks and scouting staffs but when i was playing you could actually look up in the stands on the bench and you could see there's like 10 or 12 people with like black coats and like all dressed in black and they have the clipboards in their hands and he just you know okay those are the scouts watching so scouting usually starts one or two years before you're drafted so they have an idea of where you might be and then yeah during my draft year we uh, fortunately had a great team played for a great coach and a great system and we won the championship that year so obviously that helps your draft stock because people know that you know you've now accomplished being a winner so you now you have that skill set because they can never take that away from you 
So then I was rated, you know, really high. I moved, I think, top 30 or so. So first round in the NHL draft is where I was rated. The draft my year was in. So my agent called and said, hey, there's a good chance you might go in the first round. And if you go in the first round, they call you up on stage. You put the jersey on. It's nationally televised. It's, you know, it's kind of a fun moment. So going into the draft, I knew that there was a chance of that happening. So unfortunately, I did not get drafted in the first round. So I sat there and your heart's beating as, as the, the picks get later on when you might be able to go. My whole family is with me and my agent. And then sure enough, I think I went, I think, 43rd. So middle through the second round. And then once I didn't get drafted where I was kind of ranked, every pick that goes by, you're like, maybe I'm not going to get drafted. Like as an athlete, you're going like, and then of course, everyone that's going ahead of you is like, I want to beat that guy. I've got to beat that guy. You know what I mean? You're not making this mental Rolodex because you know, you're going to be competing against them. Absolutely. And I'm like, okay, I got 42 players. I got to try to be better than, and that's kind of your mindset, even though talent wise, I know I couldn't. And yeah, I didn't get drafted from Edmonton and I was extremely excited because I had great meetings with them throughout the year, uh, great combine with them. And of course, being only a couple hours from Red Deer, where I played junior, it was very familiar territory for me. If you had drafted by you know, Carolina or a team I'd never been to North Carolina, it's kind of hard to picture what it would even look like. It, you know, it's a beautiful place to live, but I've never been there. So getting drafted by Edmonton was uh, very exciting for me because I'm a Western boy from Vancouver. Obviously, the Oilers is a very, very proud franchise. So yeah, I heard my name, stood up, you know, hugged my, my mom and dad, hugged all my brothers. And then they walk you down to the table and they have a jersey with their name on it. And you meet all the brass. And I think a couple, like Ryan Smith, a couple of the superstar players were there. And it was a great moment. And it's a culmination of so many hundreds of thousands of hours of my family supporting me to get there. And it's, it was nice that I could share that with them. Right. And after that, I think in, in 2003 and four, you spent most of the season with Toronto Roadrunners in the AHL, the developmental league for the NHL. And you had a good season there that saw you made it to the AHL all-rookie team and also play the all-star game. What was the feeling at that time and how are you trying to navigate in your mind your road to the NHL? Great question. So when you get drafted, so now you're kind of slotted on a board and you're rated. You're okay. You're of the prospects. You're here. Well, they already have, you know, six NHL caliber defensemen. So maybe I'm fitting in the 10th somewhere down there. So, you know, you've got to beat all these people ahead of you to try to make the NHL. So now, you know, kind of the real work begins. And it's interesting because when I was 14 or 15, you know, working out and starting to train year round to play hockey, you think you're working super hard. And then you get to the Western Hockey League and you see the 19-year-olds training. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm not doing anything really, to be honest. And then now as, a, as an 18-year-old getting drafted in NHL, now I show up to NHL training camp with guys making millions of dollars. You're going, wow, there's a whole other level I didn't even know existed. So every kind of step, even though you think you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, there's someone doing a lot more than you. And so playing in the American Hockey League was really good for me, the development system. And then you're basically now a professional. You don't have your mom or dad or a billet family making meals for you. You're on your own. You're trying to navigate being an adult at 20 years old while also playing one of the, one of the top leagues in the world. And of course, it's, it's, it's humbling. You're playing against men. So you know I'm a big, strong kid, but I'm only 20. And you're playing against someone that's 35. They're a lot stronger than you. I don't care how big you are as a 20-year-old. So that was very important for my development. And of course, no one's 
you know, calling for curfew, or no one's checking up on you. Like, so a lot of players, then you'll get a lot of money early on. They're trying to find their way. And if you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people, you can really find yourself in some bad situations. Uh, not just on the money side, but hanging out with the wrong people, maybe going to have having too much fun at nighttime because no one cares. You have a job to do. You're getting paid to do this. Show up on time, be the best player possible. And we don't care what you're doing outside of this. And so a lot of athletes, sometimes the, the mental side, once again, they might get a little bit too much you know, down the wrong path. So for me, it was really important to stay mentally focused, which I did. And I spent um, two years in the minors with the Edmonton organization and called up to the NHL. And of course, it's like you want to play more and you always think you're better than the person above you. And a team sport, there's lots of people that have a say, coaches, general managers, assistant coaches, assistant general managers, scoutings, head of scouting. And I was very fortunate enough to play a couple of games. I always laugh because the team won both games. So I'm undefeated in the NHL. So that's why I was like, you know what? This league's too easy. Maybe I'll just uh, go back to the minors. <laughs> but uh, no, I had a great time up there, met some great people. And uh, yeah, that was my time in Edmonton. Yeah. And like you mentioned, you got called up for two games. And th- these two games combined, I think they lasted 21 minutes for you. But your team won both the games. But like you mentioned, and you wanted obviously more game time at this time, but this is at the age of 20 that you're going through all these things, is trying to take that next step from AHL to NHL. What sort of conversations were you having with yourself at this time, trying to make that jump mentally as well as physically? And how would you navigate this time to basically... Tell yourself that this is the big league. This is, this is the next step. And it is obviously very visible, the jump that you need to make. But how do you navigate this shift? It, it's difficult. And I, I'm going back to the mental side again, because hockey's hockey. I remember being so nervous before my first NHL game. And you're looking around at these superstars. And it's 20,000 people. And, and you know, it's nationally televised. But as soon as the puck drops, it's like that all goes away. You just play the game. You play the game like I've done this my entire life. That's easy. Doing your sport, performing, that's the easy stuff. It's outside of the rink. It's outside of the the professional. That's the stuff that's hard. Not letting things get to your head. Not getting too high when people are telling you how, how great you are. And then not getting too low when people tell you how much you suck. And you have coaches that have uh, important jobs that are under a ton of pressure. So sometimes they're not playing you. Sometimes they are playing you. There's a lot of things going on with their, their career as well. You've got the a salary cap and a budget to apply to, to abide by. So that's the business side of sports that until you, when, until you make to that highest level, you, you realize how important the business side is and you really can't control the business side. So for example, for me, I got called up because the captain at the time, Jason Smith separated his shoulder. And this is an injury that would probably keep a normal person out for three weeks to a month. This guy is one of the toughest guys alive. He, he was out for like five days. I remember begging him. I'm like, his name is Gator. I'm like, Gator, just take another week off, buddy. Give me another week up here. I feel good. I feel great. He's like, Dougie, I got to get back playing. So that's the, if you want to call it the luck or the timing that you as an athlete have no say over. So as a young player trying to make it in, you'd have to take someone's job by being 10, 15% better, which I wasn't, or someone had to get injured. So then you slide into that spot, which happened for me. So that's the toughest part 
is when you're maybe skill and mentally you should be at a level like that, but don't have the opportunity because there wasn't an injury. The coach likes someone else better than you, your style. You know, I had a certain style of play, but the coach wanted to bring a player in that had a different style of play. It's not a right or wrong decision. Obviously I think it's wrong if it's not me, but that's the pro sport business side. That's the, by far the most challenging thing to understand. Right. And after this, I think another two or three years in the AHL and ECHL, and which is then that you decided that you wanted to switch continents altogether and you headed to Europe and applied your trade for EC Bull Salzburg in the Central European League. What sort of aspirations were you having when you decided to make that switch to Europe? So it was very difficult because no player when we grew up playing hockey wants to go to Europe because that means you never made the NHL. And that was very hard for me to wrap my head around at that time. So I played four years in the minors, had some chances in the NHL, you know, felt I played well enough when I was there, but unfortunately just never got more opportunities. And there's, it's against no one's fault. I'm not a victim. It just never worked out. Other situations I felt it could have worked out. I might've played 10 or 15 years. Unfortunately, that wasn't my path. So by the time I was 24, 25, remember that every team has their depth charts. They have you know, six, seven NHL defensemen. That's the position I played. Now they've got six or seven uh, players in the minors in the AHL. They have six to seven players in the ECHL. So you might have 20, 21, 24 players going for six spots. Now you get the draft. So every year, five, six, seven players are drafted. Now it might be two or three more defensemen are being drafted. So you don't make the NHL in two or three years. There might be 40 or 50 people that have now are in that organization. And then now when you're 24, 25, they want a younger player to come in that's 20, that has more upside than I would have had. So that's, again, the business side again. So I went through that about 24, 25 after my fourth year in the American Hockey League and said, okay, if I'm going to be a pro hockey player, very unique to our job is that I only have maybe 15 or 20 years. You know, not many Joe Thorntons and Yarmir Yagers are still playing into their forties. It's very, very difficult. So I knew I probably 15 or 20 years at the very, very most. So how can I maximize now my earning potential and have more of a semblance of life where you're not just, you know, wondering what's going to happen from day to day and where your next contract's coming from. So I made a difficult decision to go to Europe And it turned out to be one of the best decisions that I I could ever make because now I could actually fall back in love with playing ice hockey again, because there's a lot less of the business side in Europe on how things are run over there. So I was very fortunate for spending another eight years in Europe and I ended up winning three more championships with the team I was on. And I had met friends for life and really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And like you mentioned, your decision to switch continents obviously was vindicated in the very first year when you became the league champion and added, you know, three, two more leagues in three years. What sort of the transition did you have to go through when switching from Canada to Europe? So it's a completely different style of play in Europe. It's a different culture, obviously, in different cities. So I think one of the things that helped me the most was I didn't try to live and pretend I was in North America or in Canada in Europe. I never came in with my chest puffed out going, I'm the ex-NHL player or ex-pro guy from Canada, and I know more than 
people over in Austria or Germany or wherever I am, I came in very humble, came in saying, hey, I'm a visitor here and I'd like to assimilate into your culture and into the team and into the style of play. So I think that endeared me to my teammates where I fit in right away, even though, you know, it's Austrian speaking, it's German speaking, it's Swiss speaking, it's Finnish speaking, you've got teammates from all over. And now I'm playing in countries, you know, we're going to Prague for games all the time. I obviously don't, I don't speak, speak Czech and it's very humbling when you're over there. And that's one of the, you know, biggest things. And I think in North America is we don't really learn a lot of languages. And it's one of the things that I, I'm so jealous when people can speak multiple languages. I think it's so cool. And I remember being over in Europe going, man, that, this world is massive. And it really showed me a lot outside of the game as well, traveling and visiting these cultures and seeing these countries. They have completely different customs and some of what we do in North America and you appreciate them all. And then I remember appreciating so much more coming back to Canada with all this now come more worldwide knowledge of living over there. So it was completely different. The people, the pace, you know, there's the, the hooligans, there's North America. We don't have the drums in the rinks. We don't have the fireworks be going off indoors, smokes filling the stadium, like crazy things that we don't see in Canada and the United States. And it was really fun to kind of experience that all for eight years playing throughout Europe. Right. It's a different cultural setting altogether of following a sport as well. So yeah, I think it, it is very unique to, to Europe where you see not just the sport of ice hockey, but all the different sports that are followed in a very entertaining manner. You'd see the fans engrossed. Absolutely. And the passion they have and the history. And, you know, in Canada and, and in the United States, we don't have the history they have in Europe. And some of these buildings that we would be playing in and, and the ice rinks were that old, but the buildings you're around are four or 500 years old and the culture and that was the coolest thing for me is before a game, I'm, I want to get out, get some fresh air before we're heading to the rink. You know, you have your, your, your meal, you, you lay down and sleep for a bit, and visualize and meditate. And then I'd always like to get out and go for a walk for 30 or 40 minutes before we have to get ready on the bus to go to the, to the rink for the game. And you're just walking around these cities and these blocks and these coffee shops that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's, it's humbling and it's really cool from being a Canadian kid seeing that kind of culture. Right. And it is also at this time that you started thinking of retirement and also the other pursuits that you would want it to, you know, go after once you have retired. And I know you're a very successful entrepreneur. Now, I wanted to understand what led you to choose entrepreneurship as one of the areas that you'd want to focus on now that you have retired. And what kind of parallels can you draw between entrepreneurship and your career in ice hockey? So the biggest thing that I had to learn coming out of being a professional athlete was there are so many of those, we call them soft skills that I've learned that translate into the business world. And I have a high school education. So you're obviously nervous and you're going, well, who's going to hire you? You don't have a college degree and things like that. And I started getting into, you know, the business world after I retired and, and going, man, I, I actually do have a lot of skills and a lot of traits that employers are looking for. And the ability to, again, work as a team and be a team player and not have an ego and do what's best for the team, not yourself and be unselfish and how to win and lose and cooperate. Those actually were, were a lot of traits that people are looking at hiring in a person. Because a lot of these businesses people go into, you have to be taught anyway. 
even if you went to Harvard for four years, if you're going to go into a specific business, it might take you six months to a year to learn that business specifically and how the boss, whoever wants it run. So for me, I never said I was going to be an entrepreneur and I was done playing. What actually ended up happening, Naraj, was I was kind of sick and tired of people telling me what to do. And as a professional athlete, you don't really have a say in anything. Yes, of course, you have to, you can stay in your trainer in the summer and where you live. And Especially that kind of in team sports. The, oh, like we had like have, I remember like in Europe all the time, because we are on a team like with Red Bull that's expected to win every game. So if we won 10 games in a row, but we lost one, it was like the worst, like the whole world was going to collapse because we lost that one game, even though we're 10 and one. And I remember like days off would be canceled. So, you know, guys would have wives and families and kids and they'd plan like, okay, you guys, we're, we're going to get Sunday off this week. And okay, we're going to drive and, and go to a vineyard in Italy and drive and go experience a culture. And then you finish the game on Saturday, the team plays terrible. And the coach is like, no day off. We're canceling the day off. Practice tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. <laughs> And everyone's at two o'clock in the morning trying to cancel hotels and cancel car rentals and telling their wife or girlfriend that the, their, their trip's canceled, which is not a fun conversation to have. And like that's team sports. It's not you. There's 20 people, 25, the support staff, there's 30 or 40 people that are helping build this together. So it's, it's very challenging to ever have a life. You're told what to be, how, what's your body fat, how much you got to bench press, what your VO2 max have to be. This is what you have to wear. Here's the dress code. Okay, you've got curfew tonight. You can't go out for a glass of wine with your friend. You've got to be in your hotel room by 10 p.m. So you're very much under the microscope and under the thumb because these teams are paying these players a lot of money and that's your employer. And on the holidays, like, you know, we are kind of entertainers where I don't think I celebrated New Year's Eve for like 10, 12 years because we always played on New Year's Day. And because everyone else wanted to come to the hockey rink and, and watch a game or how many days I practiced or played on Christmas. Like, that's just, that's what you do, right? You have to get ready for your game. If you have a game on the 26th, you can't be taking days off leading up to that. So I don't think people sometimes forget how much under the thumb and microscope you are, but that's why you're paid so much. So that's the give and take. So when I retired, I went and worked for some other people and I just said right away, man, I really want to be on my terms, my schedule, self-starter. I know I'm a hard worker. So if I want to take a Monday off and go play golf with my brothers, I want to be able to do that because you know what? I'll work on Saturday. And I think for me, learning about entrepreneurship going, okay, like all of these boxes were being ticked going, okay, I can go build a company or go find a partner and build something together. I can have the team camaraderie. I can use all these soft skills I've learned my whole career, but it can be on my terms. And if I want to work, you know, 20 hours one day and then sleep all day the next day, I can because I'm in control. I think that was a huge motivating factor for me is the soft skills I had learned really played well into being an entrepreneur and then I can do whatever I want. (laughs) And that's how you also co-found Zenkai Sports, which is also a sponsor for this podcast and while we try and explain what Zenkai does but this is a great opportunity to hear from the horse's mouth so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Zenkai what you do and also what are your aspirations with it yeah well thanks Raj and it's been great meeting you these last couple of years and seeing your career not only as an entrepreneurship but now now as an athlete and, and us being friends so I appreciate the opportunity and 
And yes, so when I retired, ended up living in Portland, Oregon at the time, met a, a good friend of mine who was at Nike for 15 years, and we started talking about the apparel industry. And Nike obviously is headquartered in Portland, as well as you know Adidas and Under Armour and Columbia, so it's kind of a mecca for apparel. And one thing kind of led to another, and I ended up being having the opportunity to license a new technology called Filium. And it all kind of kind of worked out serendipitous. And then the, the, the owner of Philly was in Seattle. We became partners and launched Zenkai Sports. I love the idea of Kaizen, which is a Japanese philosophy that means continuous improvement. So, you know, hearing a little bit about my life during this podcast, you can tell like I want to get better every day uh, as an athlete. We're trying to get better every single day and compete. So for me, I love that idea. So I, I cut Kaizen in half the word and flipped it and came up with Zenkai. So for me, it hits close to home. I want to help the environment, the planet, do whatever I can to be better every day as a human being. So the cool thing with Zenkai is we're the only cotton-based performance apparel on the market. So our, our apparels, the top end is 95% cotton. Some of our compressions are on 92% cotton, but cotton's biodegradable. It feels better on the skin. It's breathable. It's light. And because we have our new technology called Filium that we've licensed globally, it repels water and sweat. And that's what really got me excited being an ex-athlete. We sweat as humans to cool ourselves down. So the idea of moisture wicking or dry fit, which is pulling your sweat off your skin into your shirt is actually outdated. There's actually no science saying that that's good for our bodies because our bodies then have to work harder to produce more sweat. So if you're an athlete, you then overheat quicker and your performance suffers. So for us, I love the performance side of it. I love the eco-friendly side of it being cotton. And then the third part is because we repel the water and sweat, we repel the bacteria. So you can wear our shirts five, six, sometimes 10 times without washing it, which that also helps the environment, reduces your carbon footprint as a family. So all of those things combined, the performance aspect, eco-friendly, anti-odor, really excited me. So, and then obviously like we talked earlier about being an entrepreneur, I started myself, my family got involved. I got some ex-professional athletes involved with me. Some celebrities are involved now. So it's been a really cool rise the last two and a half, three years, but being an entrepreneur, just like trying to make the NHL, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a grind each and every single day, but just like when I was trying to play hockey professionally, I love it. I wake up every day with a smile on my face. There's a lot of no's, there's a lot of pressure, but that's the kind of environment I thrive in. So I've really enjoyed it. And I'm super excited with your help and, and people's help that are listening to help Zenkai Sports become the next big thing. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And I also heard you previously mention one of our calls where while it is a position of pressure, but we obviously always look at pressure as a privilege. So, and it allows you and also I think myself thrive in that kind of a setting. So, yeah. Yeah. I heard that one time. I can't remember. I, I want to give credit to somebody. I can't remember where her pressure is a privilege, but it, if you're doing anything worth doing, other people are going to be doing it. And I use a, like Elon Musk, like he goes to his buddy having a beer. I'm going to, I'm going to send somebody to the moon or I'm going to send them to Mars. I'm going to make a rocket ship. I'm going to make an electric car. Have you ever heard of, Boeing or any of these major companies or like a, a Ford or GM or whoever, like there's pressure in every industry you're going to be in. And if you want to be a professional athlete, an entrepreneur that does something big in business, there's going to be a lot of pressure, but that's why it's fun because that means you're doing something that's going to be worthwhile. 
Absolutely. And it, it's been a real pleasure having you today, Doug, and being able to also understand your values of, you know, improving as an individual in no matter what you do is really heartening and inspiring for myself. So thank you so much for taking all the time today and, you know, sharing your journey with us. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. And I'm a big fan of, of what you're producing. So keep it up. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Man, I got to learn so much about the sport of ice hockey and what it takes to reach the elite level in ice hockey. For a teenager to leave home at 16 to pursue his dreams to play internationally, having a 15-year-long career, playing over 1,000 competitive games across 11 cities. I really admire Doug's adaptability and how he was able to fit into all these different cultures and continue excelling at his sport. And now about Zenkai, I think he's doing terrific work and that's also one of the reasons why I believe so strongly in the brand and the work that they're doing, which is why we have partnered up together. For our listeners, Zenkai has created a special promo code that you can use at checkout and get 20% discount on your cart value when you shop at zenkaisports.com. The code is TGP20. You can find all these details in the show notes. So head to the website and check out Zenkai's cool products that can give you the extra boost in your performance today. So that's it for this episode, folks. Thank you for tuning into the Gifted Podcast. I have been your host, Neeraj Mulani. A gentle reminder, you can find us as The Gifted on your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Keep following us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube as The Gifted Podcast and on Twitter as The Gifted Pod so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. Thank you once again for listening and I'll see you next week with another special episode. Until then, stay well and keep your masks on.